What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the second version of the you know 10,000 foot view within training. This is number three within what we talked about. First video in the series was the three things you need to know before you get into strength and conditioning. Second video was about 10,000 foot view programming principles for any strength and conditioning coach in the weight room. Again, this video is going to be specific to the work on the field because... This is probably going to be one of the most important ones and hopefully one that you guys watch a ton because there are too many coaches that have a PhD in the weight room and a GED on the field. Just like the video before this, we are going to make sure that everything is at a 10,000 foot view. We're not going to overly dive into, you know, sets and reps. We're not going to dive into the weights that you should be using when it comes to any of the sled work. We're just going to give you the big framework. We're going to give you the principle and then help understand what methods are going to be best for you because if you go back to the very first video all right videos one and two they're going to be linked below the very first video we said you have to understand your progressions and regressions you have to understand um also that it was we said it was based on the athletes that you have and the equipment that you have so you can't be programming things that your athletes can't do because you want them to do you're like oh we want to be doing standing triple jumps Maybe your athletes aren't ready for that. It, it is not appropriate for you to be doing that. So make sure you watch video number one. Make sure you watch video number two. They're linked below. Also, while we're talking about these things, go ahead and hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button because it helps us out be able to put out better content for you. And you get notified whenever we put more stuff out there. So hit that like and subscribe button. And without further ado, we're going to dive into this. I got some notes here in front of me. So the biggest thing that you want to think is understand, are you doing speed work before your lift or are you doing a lift followed by a conditioning session? You don't want to have your athletes lift and then do a speed session. That does not make sense from a neurological standpoint. You want to be doing the most difficult neurologically taxing thing for the athlete when they're the most fresh. So that's why you don't want to be doing a speed max velocity session when you just fatigue them with a lift that that's not setting your athletes up for success. So that's number one <clears throat> within the framework. Now that we know that we're going to start off talking about doing a speed session. So within your speed session, after your warm up, you should be going sp um, sprints, jumps, then throws. So we'll say that again. After your warm up, it's into the sprinting, the jumping, then the throwing. Your warm up should also not have like this abrupt, like warm up's over. Now we're doing. It should be a smooth blend, almost like a turning up of a dial from the warm up into hey, the end of the warm up and the beginning of the speed work should look pretty like hey, where did it end? Where did it begin? So understand that. Now, within your framework of the sprint work, you have acceleration work, you have max velocity work, you have curve work, you have your change in direction, and then you have your agility. So let's dive into the very first one, acceleration work. Your acceleration work in nature is going to be your shorter distances, it's going to be horizontal in nature, and it's going to be higher forces, typically static overcome by dynamics. So again, number one is acceleration, shorter distance probably, horizontal in nature, higher forces, and it's typically static overcome by dynamic. In the team sport world, athletes are going to be accelerating and getting to top speed sooner than they would as a track sport athlete. Just think about it. 
A team sport athlete needs to get to max velocity sooner than a track athlete. If you're a track athlete and you're running 100 meters, 200 meters, you can't run and hit max velocity really soon. And then it's almost, you're just trying to delay slowing down. So it's not that they're delaying, like purposely being slow. It's just they take and accelerate longer in track than in team sport. They have to accelerate and get to top speed sooner. So your accelerative work uh, some general heuristics, the bigger the athlete, so the more they weigh, they're going to reach max velocity sooner. Same with the weaker athletes. They're going to be at max velocity sooner, so their acceleration work is truly going to be shorter distances. That's why your football linemen, they're really already at max velocity. If you look at Ken Clark's research by 93% or 89% by like um, 10 yards, I think 93, 94%, 15 yards. So that's how short your acceleration work is for these, you know, team sport larger athletes. Now, your skill players, they're, you get somebody that's really, really fast, you're probably still going to see increases in their speed at, you know, 20, 30 yards. But that's the general heuristic with your acceleration work. Um, you want to be loading them with your sleds too. So that way, again, it, it follows that high force nature, deeper angles within your acceleration work. Um, and you should be timing it too with, uh, respect to, oh my gosh, Tony Holler with the record rank and publish. That's, you know, awesome stuff to be driving the intent within that acceleration bucket. So remember it's high forces, it's deeper angles, it's horizontal projection, and it's typically static overcome by dynamic max velocity is your next bucket. So max velocity work, this is your upright running. This is your vertical down into the ground. This is going to have shorter ground contact times and longer flight times. So your acceleration work, getting back to that, acceleration work, your foot, your ground contact time, you're on the ground longer and you're in the air shorter because you're putting your foot on the ground accelerating. Think about when you push a car, if it was, uh, if you needed to jump a car back in the day um, or if you've ever had to push a car, you got to kind of put your foot on the ground longer to get it going. But once it gets going, you can you know, you're not putting your foot on the ground as long. That's what happens when your body is running. So at max velocity, your flight time, you're in the air longer than your foot's on the ground. Elite, elite athletes are 0.08 seconds. I ain't that. Um, <laughs> chances are you're not. Chances are you're probably not even at the, you know, one-tenth of a second, uh, probably around, you know, 0.12, 0.14. Anyways, just understand that it's vertical in nature. It's the fastest cyclical running rather than the piston-like vertical, or excuse me, rather than the piston-like acceleration. Max velocity work is, you know, up and down, more cyclical. Curve work, number three, you have your C curve or your S curve where there's, you know, and, and you think like, what does that matter? Well, if you think about sport, it's not all just straight ahead and changes of direction. There's that arced running of a C curve and an S curve. And you think about the stress on the musculature, the, you know, hip, hip flexor, groin, hamstring. Those are, you know, some of the biggest things that I would talk about with athletes is understanding like, hey, there's a different demand on the hamstring when you're, you know, not only just um, tempo running at a curve, but actually max lead velocity running it. So that's your curve, your change in direction work. It is not agility work. It's change in direction because it's prepping the fascia, muscles, tendons, ligaments 
for the harder, uh, excuse me, for the actual agility work, but you want to make sure that you've done it in all the directions, which is why the Elon staff's eight vector stuff just helps you make sure that you've checked that box off. So the first, you know, two vectors, and it's really just four changes, but it's off both legs, which is why it's eight vector. So running straight ahead, some people call it a zero turn, some people call it a 180, but it's sprint, change direction off the right leg and return exactly where you were. Then the next one would be, some people call it 135 degrees, some people just call it 45 degrees down. So you run, change off the right leg, go 45 degrees to your left, or run, change off the left leg, 45 degrees to the right. Next change would be a 90 degree cut, so run straight ahead, plant off the right leg, go 90 degrees left. Run straight ahead, plant off the left leg, 90 degrees to the right. And then finally, 45 degrees up. But again, some people call this one the 135 degrees. Figure out what you want to call it. Call it that, but it's running straight ahead, plant off the right leg, and reaccelerate 45 degrees off the left leg. Or run straight ahead, plant off the left leg, and accelerate to the right 45 degrees up. Once you've done all of those and you've done them at high speeds, because remember, if you go into those changes of direction with just a maybe five yard lead in, that's easier than if you did it with a 10 yard lead in or even a 15 yard lead in. So once you've increased the speed going into the change, now you can safely know that you've prepped the athletes for high speed changes of direction. So that way, when they go do their pure chaotic agility work, you can almost feel, you know, that you've, you know, SOS, you've checked the box to make sure that you've covered your own ass. Like, hey, I made sure that we're safe. We've done these changes of direction. We've progressed the speed. We've progressed it over time. I can prove and say, hey, look, we're prepared as we're going to be. Because like we've talked about before, you cannot prevent injury. Then you have your agility work. Agility work, again, shout out to the Elon staff for how they um, helped everybody understand and classify and bucket them. But theirs was mirror, chase, dodge, and score. So for mirror, it's just, hey, staying in front of somebody, reacting, whatever they do, you do the exact same and you stay in front of them. Chaser, that would be if one person's behind, the other person's in front, and they're just chasing wherever that person goes. <clears throat> dodge would be somebody's running and they're trying to avoid being tagged, right? And then score is essentially mirror, but now there's just that aspect of kind of the dodge before of trying to actually, you know, go past and the other person has to kind of tag them. So bucketing them that way then allows you to, okay, within the bucket, how do I layer back to what we said in video one, progressions and regressions within these categories? How do you add complexity? Is it more people? Is it a bigger space? Are you adding things in the way? That way it's more and more difficult for the athlete. All right. So that's your sprint category within the on-field stuff. The jump category. So you'd be doing this after your athletes did all their sprint work. For me, your jumps are double leg takeoff, double leg land, hop, single leg takeoff to same single leg land, leap is single leg takeoff to opposite single leg land, a jop is a jump to a hop. So single leg take, or excuse me, jump to hop. So it's double leg takeoff to single leg land. And then a reverse jop would be a single leg takeoff to a double leg land. I'll say that one more time. Jump, two leg takeoff, two leg land. Hop, single leg takeoff, same single leg land. Leap, single leg takeoff, opposite uh, single leg land. Jop, jump to hop. So two to one, reverse jop, one takeoff, land on two. When you do this and you have that classification, you can then add in what direction. Are you doing a hop forward? Are you doing a hop 
lateral? Are you doing it rotational? Leap, are you, you know, because now your leap can be medial and it can be with a bounce because now after you classify the takeoff and the landing, you classify the direction. Now you classify what your ground contact time is. Now you can have all those progressions and regressions and your athletic trainer can understand how they can progress and regress an athlete that might be going through the return to play process. So let's say with your whole group of athletes, you have people going hop forward continuous. They could back it down and maybe they need to go hop forward with a bounce or maybe it's hop forward with a catch. Maybe it's they just need to be hopping in place or they just take it all the way back to um, jumping forward with a continuous because they're they're staying as close as they can but now it needs to be double leg see how we're explaining the method behind it and then letting you pick or excuse me we're explaining the principle letting you pick the method so that's the jump category we also uh, one of the things that i love to do is put in your 90 degree turns or 180 degree turns and even the forward roll into the jumps. All right, so the forward roll into the jumps, stolen 100% from Austin Jokum, so shout out to you for that. The 80 and 90 degrees, shout out to you know my time at Iowa as that's what we were um, doing over there. And you can do those with the big boys too, whether it's your larger athletes in other sports or if it's your offense and defensive linemen they uh, benefit a lot from the 90 degree they don't maybe need to do the 180 but if you just think about from a uh, prepping tendons ligaments fascia they benefit from doing that 90 degree work the throwing so now in category three you kind of want to pair what's going on with whether it's an acl day or a max velocity day or the changing of direction work. So the A-cell, like we said before, it's more horizontal in nature, more static overcome by dynamic, and it is um, higher forces. So heavier balls, you're throwing in a horizontal projection, and you're probably not gonna be having some sort of a counter movement to it. So whether it's a ball on the ground, and then you're throwing it 45 degrees forward without a counter movement, and it's a heavy weight. Right? Or it's a chest pass, kind of like a broad jump throw. That would be stuff that you would be doing on your throwing uh, acceleration day. Max velocity, it's going to be lighter. It's going to be vertical in nature. So maybe now you have a med ball started up tall, go down between the legs, and now you're throwing it as high as you can with a light med ball. Then to add reactivity, you might do a quick rebound off the ground, throw it as high as you can. Finally, you're multi-directional, so maybe you're doing a rotational throw, and you're going to do that on your change of direction curve day. Awesome. Love it. The energy system work, um, when you're on the field, you, you now want to make sure you're looking at what the sport is. So go back. That's why you need to understand the work-to-rest ratio for your sport. Football, you don't need to be running on the field because it's not a ton of lactate, but if it's soccer, if it's lacrosse, if it's hockey, if it's basketball, now those energy system demands need to change. But just make sure the biggest general heuristic, increase output, increase recoverability, that will increase that middle ground. So kind of sticking with Charlie Francis's work there. If you increase max output, you increase the ability to recover, that middle zone of work is 100% going to uh, continue to go up. Then one of the last things to think about with the on-field work with respect to conditioning and just total time on the field is you need to make sure that your athletes are prepared to spend as long on the field as they're going to be. So when they go out and they go to practice, chances are practice is for about two hours. If you are only having them on the field for a 45-minute speed work, then they go and lift, 
And then they go to their first practice, and the first time they're outside for two hours is that first practice, and they're outside for two hours, five to six days, chances are they're going to get hurt because you have not exposed them to being on the field long enough. So make sure you're looking at the time that the athletes are on their feet so that way you can be helping them stay prepared and be as healthy as they can be. So that concludes this three-part series. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Like I said, if you did, help us out. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Check out the rest of the links down below in the show notes. And yeah, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the day.